from Glad Radio. Southside Community Sounds from Glad Radio. Hi, this is Becky Wallace and welcome to the Songwriters on Songwriting podcast here on Glad Radio, where our guests take a deep dive into their music for your amusement. Let's get to it. Welcome to Songwriters on Songwriting with me, Becky Wallace. It's a pleasure to be here today with the fantastic Brown Bear too. Uh, so hello. Hi. Can I call me. you Matt? Uh, yeah, for the purposes of this exercise, absolutely. I feel like that's the truth of it, man. And I that's know. what we need to get to. Do you know what's so funny? Usually people actually ask the other way around. They go, can I call you Brown Bear? <laughs> Some, and I just pick whether they can or not. Mm, maybe. That, that guy? Yeah, you? No. <laughs> Uh, right, well, I'm going to call you Matt because I just think we need to be honest from, from the start here. Yeah, we're, going to... well, well, um, we're here as writers, right? We're not here as that's the it. artists. That's it, that's it. And so um, I think you kind of know my process here, but we just really want to geek out on some of your, your favourite songs that you've written. Yeah. Have a wee chat about them, have a listen to them, just enjoy them and just see where the songs take us, really. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, everybody that's listened to this will have heard enough of me, to be honest. So... Uh, Hi Matt, nice Hi. to have you. Yeah. What would you like to do first? Let's do retro first, but can I just say this is so hard to pick. I, I didn't really, it's not that I love all my songs, but I feel like you, you know me quite well, Becky, and I, I, I'm an absolute song obsessed person, so I could have picked any song really and just been like, oh, this is what I was thinking. So picking three songs was quite hard. It's tough. I remember doing me and three. That yeah. was hard. Because uh, uh, I just like day to day, it changes, you know. Yeah. So it's even harder with your own work because it's like, what, what do I want like to say today, or how do I feel today, or what's resonating with me about my own head? Yeah, <laughs> and I think I tried to pick songs that were like in my head just now, and maybe they could be good things to talk about rather than like they're my best songs or my favorite songs. I think sometimes I think that changes as a writer, doesn't it? Like, you, because in some ways, the best song to use is the last one you wrote. Until you go and demo a bunch of songs and realise it's the worst. Oh my god, so much, man. Yeah. So with that in mind, this one seems to be standing the test of time so far. Yeah. Retro. Cool. Here's Retro by Brown Bear Matt. Thinking about the old days, remember the dial up tone, chat to some old flames. Mama waiting on the phone, and now reminiscing split screen. We were playing on the 64, then we'd head to the arcade. We're trying to beat the highest score.
I pure like your song, by the way. <laughs> that was amazing, man. Well done. Uh, Retro is such a cool song. I love it because I feel like it's got this lovely little kind of pop package, you know, and it's got the vibe and the sound and you kind of do a lot of legwork in the, the intro and the kind of first verse to set a scene that, that I think a lot of people can connect to, just that idea of almost feeling like the, where we're at now, they just want they want to go back, play on their N64 or whatever. Um, but I think that the, the cool thing about this song is it's like a story in three parts, so... By the third verse, it's like the protagonist, I'm assuming, is you, and you can talk about that in a sec, feels quite vulnerable, you know, like, um, and the truth's kind of coming out, you know. The song's still bopping, but there's a sadness to it almost. Do you want to fill us in on that, Matt? Yeah, I think um, with with everything, I, I suppose in the starting point of the song, this was the first song that I was really approaching to write after the whole of the first record process, so... When you write your first record, it's kind of your life thus far. This is the first time you're writing reflectively as a writer because you're not necessarily living as much. I mean, you've not got t- 20 years of living or whatever it is. You, you're start- so I was, I was in quite a reflective time in my life where I was like, what, you know, I'm coming towards my 30s. What does that mean? What have I achieved? And I was really thinking about the old days. I mean, and I, I, it's funny how the first line is often what you're actually just thinking. And I, so in terms of that starting point, I really wanted to build like what what was that for me but I knew as I was thinking through the verses I was going to like ramp that up and I love to get deep as I go and I always say earn earn the right to say something specific and mm-hmm. I guess part of the power of the the final verses that you've lulled people into a sense of security by giving them home comforts at the start you're telling them about stuff that hopefully for some people is really nostalgic so they're like, oh, this song's going to be really great for me. And it's like, well, this is where we are now. And hey, what, what about the future? And, and those kind of rose-tinted glasses and then nostalgia that holds us back. And, and a lot of the thinking of that, this kind of comes through the second verse, but it's I think I think a lot of what I was thinking about at the time was you have this thing where you go, oh, things are getting worse. Like th- things are get, getting worse or whatever. And then you think it was so much better then. And you think back to those times, you go, actually, was it? Things were quite bad and... Um, now I'm remembering the good bits and forgetting the bad and we're making it feel like this is worse. So um. That's the beauty of nostalgia. <clears throat> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially if you're the same, not, not I'm a little bit older than you, but growing up in the 80s and like early 90s, it's like, I you remember the good bits, but it, it wasn't great. Yeah. You know, there was lots of, I don't know, lo- lots of things that were probably being shielded from as yeah. well, you know. And, and I was thinking a lot about how it was great with my pals and I loved that part of my life. The second verse I was starting to think about now, but I was reflecting when I'm talking about, again, as a writer, right? So I, um, sometimes we want to say something that's specific to us or that we feel is really relevant or you've got this thing in mind. So when I was thinking about um, the line, how can you say you love me when you taught me to hate myself? I was thinking about being at school and I remember being in class uh, and it was geography and they were teaching us about Africa and they were saying, you know, we need to send stuff to Africa. Africa is so poor. And I was kind of going through the realisation at that time in my life that um, of my real background and I'm half African. And I was like sitting there going like, they're teaching me that I'm less. I was like, this whole, this whole school system is designed to make you think that you're less. And I realised that from, I, in a really specific story, I remember um, doing To Kill a Mockingbird in English and the teacher said, you know, there's some racial language coming up and I don't know if I should do it. They spoke to another teacher that knew me and said, should, should we say it? They said, just, just speak to Matt and, and ask him. And they came up and said, should we use these words when we're reading out in class? And I was like, well, I'm not those words, so I don't know why you've asked me that. And even at that age, I knew that, like, they thought of me differently than I thought of myself. And they were, like, they unconsciously were thinking of me as less, so then teaching me to be less. And as I got older, I started to really think about that. But you can't go into a song and say that story. So this is the thing about being a writer. You have to take a specific experience and make it universal. That's that, man. And yeah. When you break that down to what was happening, it was you said that you loved me and then you taught me I was less. But that can mean so much to so many people. But like race played a big part in this song and that's part of the reason for like, you know, because the song's based in kind of like gospel chords. And yep. as, as a root, and when we get into the technicality and then I, I knew I wanted to be like a hook and I was like, okay, that's going to be like a, a drum beat. It's just going to be a loop. We're going to loop a beat. And I was, when you start writing a song, we always do that thing. Dum. Trying out different melodies, and I was going and I thought when I was in the demo stage, I just looked that we're just going to look that, make it a loop, bang, bang, bang. 
and <clears throat> we built the song with that in mind, but like that doesn't. So this is a weird thing for me to have a little bit of production in my head, but I just knew that I wanted a certain feel, and that was going to define what the song was. Um, and and I think that made it easier to do the verses, like and stories, because I was starting to think about hip hop more, and I was thinking about raps and 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 how maybe like they use each verse to tell a story, and then I was mm. thinking about stories and the arc of a story usually is in three acts, and you know you go from where you are, and then you have to be a different person at the end. So it was the first time I was really thinking really maturely as a writer and going how how do I build a, a sonic picture here. Yeah, as a writer, yeah, needed as well. Like after a first album, you're right. You, yeah. you need that, don't you? And it's, there needs to be something needs to give, and some development that has to happen. It's interesting because it, I I didn't know the story before I started talking there, but that's what I felt listening. It's like the third verse is it's like the reveal. You said something about lyrics. I think we've spoke about this before, and the idea that in order to it, the the payoff for the listener is kind of getting the almost like the cliche, like when, when they deserve it, you know, it's like you, you've set this big scene up so that it could be, it's quite ambiguous and it could be anything and then you give them the fact, yeah. the fact that it needs to be heard, even though it might have been heard a million times before, but now it's contextualised through these verses and metaphors and yeah. that's so cool, man. And it's like, I say it all the time, but lean into cliches, like don't be, I, I, this, is, was, this is what I've started to think about cliches is, so maybe a bad writer would really use a really rubbish cliche, an okay writer will tell you not to use a cliche and a great writer will use a cliche in a, in a, a really clever way. They yeah, won't be man. scared of the cliche. <clears throat> and and what I see is a lot of fear in writers about, and I think it's maybe a Scottish thing, like because we're kind of taught to like not be too bold and yep. all that. There's this fear of saying what you really feel in mm -hmm. case people think you're like not humble or not cool. I don't know what it is, but what it means is the song sucks because you've not been honest and, and, and songs are honesty. Like the, the, the song connects with someone if you're honest. That's it, man. It's the fear of going straight to the point, isn't it? Which is funny because we happily speak yeah. <laughs> straight to the point quite yeah, a lot yeah. of us, but uh, within the music. And also I think it's that, that sense of having to prove yourself. I think as writers, a lot of people get this where they feel like, well, if I just do the CGD or I'd, if I just do, you know, the obvious third on that harmony or I just say, mm -hmm. I love you or whatever, then straight away people are just going to think, well, that's just another song that says that, mm -hmm. you know? So they're like, how can I find the most complex... I've been there, you know, like, how can I find the most complex way to create something? But actually, I feel like what you do well, we'll hear throughout your music, is there's a way to package something that feels and simple and is easily accessible, yeah. but carries a message. That's like, the hardest thing to so do. Important. It's 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 easy to say something easy, but it's hard to say something really succinct in an easy, accessible way. And that's a skill and it takes a lot of self-refinement and it takes a lot of like writing things down and being honest. But, but coming back to what you said about like proving to yourself, part of what made this easier was I'd done a first record, I'd proven I could write a record. Mm. I didn't have to prove that. And so this, it was, a, a I work with a guy called Ian Jimson, we've always done demos together. His son Robbie was sitting saying, hey, I've been learning some piano and he was playing these gospel chords and I just started scatting over it. And I wasn't shy to say, like, hey, I'm going to take that and develop it into a song, that record thing you were doing, and then I went and added other chords. I mean, I essentially wrote the song after that, but I was still like, right, Robbie, we're going to cut you in because then if this song does well, you get royalties, and, like, I want to, like, explore this song with you. And I was so much more open to having other people come in and give me ideas and write towards this record because, which we didn't actually end up on the record. I think there's one um, other writer and one song. But I would have been open to a writer in every song, not because I need it, because I've, I, I think I'd proven I could do it myself. And now I was just like, I just want the best for the song. And that—that that isn't, I'm not always going to be able to deliver that because that's that, man. we're not machines, you know. It's like, the sign of an artist as well, isn't it? Like you want to make your mark, but once you've made your mark, it's like, well, how do I now take this into my community or yeah. take this and share it, share, share like this opportunity to, to create, you know? Yeah. It's important, I think. And also just like, some some unexpected people have really amazing ideas and you, if you never ask them, you'll never know and you could miss out on a bit of magic and I just think it's explore everything, you know, that music's there to be explored, it's there to be experimented with. 100%, man. I, I, we're going to move on to the next song in a minute, but I think it's like just to note the sound palette of this because mm. like it's, like we say, okay, it's pop or whatever and it's got that kind of more early gospel sound, you know, great kind of beats. 
you you're not really typecast sound wise I've yeah. noticed like but this is I feel like it's it feels from your earlier work like a natural progression sonically yeah but then you're just going to tear it up with the next song completely yeah k- kind of but like we'll, we'll get to that in a minute but it's so funny because I was in rehearsals before I came to do this today and we were talking about how much more soulful the new record is and I was saying that it's funny because kind of like retro and one more night were the two singles before the second record when I listen to them now, I go, oh, gosh, that was me trying to figure out. That's like my brain in motion, figuring out what the new sound is. Mm. So they're they're really, lo- like, people were like, why are they not on the album? But I'm like, well, because there was just a moment in time where I was trying to figure out. I knew I knew where I was going as a songwriter, but sonically, on the other side of it, because I have such a, I have quite a big input in the direction and the production. I was like, I was figuring that out. And those two songs are lovely because they're, they're almost like the motion of like he's figuring something out, and I listen back now and go, "Gosh, that was me working through those sounds." Which I'm about to throw people, of course, about this, but this is like every album has its like ballad and its down bit, and in the context of the record, this still makes sense. And that's the thing: like once you write a lot of songs and then you put them in a record, that's a whole other thing because those songs then have to have a relationship with each other, and it's the themes and. And for me, it's the vocals, you know, it's the vocals and it's the fact that I've written them and I have a style of writing that ties it together, which a lot, again, a lot of artists are so scared to think, oh, the, these two songs don't don't sound the same, so they should, well, good, like, no, no two songs should sound the same. Mm. Uh, that's if you still care about the humble album, Matt. Yeah, I, well, I, I, I only care about albums, I'm afraid. <laughs> me too, and it's hard not to think in concept, you know, yeah. like, once you start to get a vibe, it's, I, I often retroactively imply or impose meaning on things once I start to hear them because I'm like like you it's like you're working your out your own brain mm-hmm. so I'm like a compulsive creator so I like make something and then either love or hate it but I, was, I, I, I keep it and I listen to it over and over again even if I don't think it's a great song because I'm like where's it going what mm-hmm. am I thinking like what's or, coming next or what is the good thing in this song exactly and sometimes once I figure out that's when I let the song go because I go I know I'm keeping this bit the rest of it's not good because it's there's good things and everything and it's like sometimes when you're writing something you're just getting it out and you're going something's making me come back I need to figure out what it is might be a hook might be one line might be a melody might be that the bridge actually is a, a verse or the, the the verse is actually a chorus because even as writers we still we're like songs are therapeutic right so you're sometimes you're working through an emotion first yeah. And then you take the emotion out of it and you go, okay, that's the emotion and I'm okay with that. But now what's the song? Yeah. And the emotion, it doesn't mean there's no emotion in the song. You just, like, sometimes it's so m- much emotion that there's you no have to structure. You other people to safely listen to your music yeah. without being bombarded with emotion. Well, you do. I, I yeah. love to bombard people with emotion. It's you're a like problem. A, you're like a wall of emotion. Uh, just like a wall of emotion. Uh, well done. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Actually, I'm a songwriter. I don't think know. Anyway, uh, okay, that's right. So I think it's a really nice, like, kind of just intro into the world of you as well. So would you like to introduce your next song I've done I've done this really difficultly for everyone because there's no like reference to the first record or like what like demons is the album and what that means but I wanted to choose songs I could talk about for different reasons so let's do spin another web next which is like kind of so this to set the scene this is like towards the end of the second record we've been through a lot of the emotion and now we're kind of like I guess that's the emotional reflection of like I've accepted the emotions and this is where I'm at and um it's the kind of getting to the end of the album a ballady type album track but it's still a really great song and I, I love it because it's like I love these songs because to me they're the, the great emotional songs and it's not about hooks and choruses it's just about the emotion and um, this was like the kind of emotional payoff for me of the second record Amazing, thank you so much Here is Brown Bear with Spin Another Web Spin Another Web and see if it sticks Cause I can't seem to figure out the truth about you Somewhere in between the dust and the bricks There's a crack that's big enough for you to fall through It's always been your fantasy To live out all your wildest dreams But before When I look in the mirror, 
song that makes me feel like I somehow have triumphed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I triumphed there, but I feel like I did. I think as a singer and a listener who is a singer, for me, this is just so well structured melodically. You know, like I yeah. could remember every melodic hook. And the, I really like the kind of the entry into it. Again, it's an example of just like really nicely crafted melodies that do a good job in repetition as well, you know. Um, I And just, like, your little turns of phrases and stuff in this, man, I think there's a skill in writing like this, pop-wise. This is a pop ballad. Like, it's almost, you know, a classic pop ballad. Everything about it, melodically, I mean, as a listener, you know, yeah. what you want from a ballad, what it does for you, it does it. See when that kind of gospel choir kicks in, mm. when the drums come out and then come back in? For me, that's just exactly what has to happen there. Now, a lesser man would have done a key change there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the, it's the fear, isn't it? People would have been scared of it being too classic or vintage, whereas I, I was like, let's lean into that, especially in, even in the production when we do that. And, um, but that's that's what writing in a piano sometimes does um, because of the nature of it. It kind of keeps you a little bit more structured and you've got your refrains in between the and that central. And that's really beautiful bit of keys as well and I knew there was something in it because I kept playing it and I remember um, uh, Jamie Coleman who's also my guitar but he's an amazing artist in his own right his wife was pregnant um, kind of close to this song being written after lockdowns and I'd been over at theirs and I was sitting in their keyboard playing it she went I'll stop I'll cry just as soon I, I, didn't, I didn't even get into the song I just played that one wee bit and I thought well there's something in that if it's eliciting emotion and um and it is a pop ballad and I kind of hate that I, I, I was saying like you know I go down the bed on the bed on the bed and that's such a pop like even if you sing like that down the bed on the bed down the bed down the bed down it's yeah. a very different thing in a song but then I was a bit like well you know there's a lot of R&B and soul influence in it so maybe it's okay to have that in the ballad it keeps a little bit of context for how the, the rest of the record's written but um yeah, this was a really reflective song. I still listen to it and get a bit emotional because I'm like, well, that was me being really honest. And I, when I started writing it, I was 
playing around, trying to figure out words, trying to figure out like a bit of the chorus. Saw a spider on the wall, and that's what made me think like spin another web. And I started to think about that kind of the lies we tell ourselves and like self destruction. And it's a lot. This album's a lot about demons and um, and I, and I thought for a long time it was a lot about being around people with addiction. But I kind of realised that like I have so many of those traits myself. And someone someone really recently said to me, you know. Just because you cut out the the habit that would have been a bad addiction early doesn't mean you didn't have the trauma or the traits, and you've been so self destructive for your whole life and through through so many different ways. And this was lockdown when I started writing. I had nowhere to go, and that's the thing. Somewhere in between the dust and the bricks. I mean, I was like stuck in a wall, and like even with that, I found a way to like fall into habits and just despair. And then the next verse, I was like, well, we need to ramp up that imagery again, but. It's a really true thing of like, even when I'm grounded, I found a way to be drowning. And that was that thing, like, I've not even made it to the sea. And I've already found a whole world to be a lot, a whole load of excuse, whatever it is. Like, I didn't have to get in the ocean to drown. I was drowning before I even got to water. And that was really hard to be that honest about myself. And, you know, or kind of in a way, like, I know I'm singing it almost not about myself, but really I'm, I'm on that track saying, you know, I'm, I'm a liar and... Fuck, I let I let a lot of people down in my life and I let myself down and I try I've tried to do right by people but um I never tried to do right by myself and I think that yeah. was hard and so when I was thinking about in the mirror every time when I was singing that I'd be thinking like who would be looking at me in the mirror? Like could I look myself in the mirror? Um I lost my dad when I was really young and I was thinking like what would he think if I looked in the mirror and like so many people would see my dad in me and they'd be like I was like if I was to look in the mirror right now, like what would like would he even be proud of me? Like it's so, honestly, like, that's so interesting that you said that there, because it's just pure going along for the ride of your great story there, and was thinking about, you know, the whole side quest thing in life, and how nothing is a side quest, really, mm. you just think it is at the time, you know, and then you end up having an important experience, you know, and, like, we give ourselves a hard time for not having the kind of almost, not sticking to our trajectory so much, you know, when actually... Almost everything we do is learning, like, mm. no matter what, you know. But I thought this song was about grief. Like, the first few times I listened to it, I mean, obviously with no context, but, which you're giving me now, the mirror line was my kind of giveaway to that. But, like, in general, it felt to me like you were kind of, I don't know, like, talking to someone close to you or someone mm. else or, like, kind of giving someone a eulogy almost, you know, yeah. is what it felt like to me as a, as a listener, which well, is interesting thing, like... to hear. How do you move forward when all you know is the past? And I was thinking, like, well, all I've known is trauma. So, like, and that's not true, but that's what it feels like sometimes. Like, when you're thinking back about certain things, like, how do you... I know the tiny violins are out I've got my wee violin. It's actually so quiet you can't hear yeah. it. Yeah, but I, I suppose I suppose for me, like, lockdown was... I'd, I'd gotten the great habit of being able to tour and run away from life. And lockdown, lockdown was the first time I had to stay at home and deal with... Ten, Face yourself, man. Ten plus years yeah. of, like, things I'd run away from and... Um, that was really difficult, and and uh, like uh, that's what I was saying. Like, if all I've known is the past, like, and in a way, I was trying, I was trying to also forgive myself. I was trying to be like, you know, if that's all you've known, like, how are you going to be any different? Like, what, were you just going to like, you're going to be the same as everybody else in life who that didn't go through that, and you're supposed to be okay? Like, it's okay that you, you, you struggled a bit, and like that's that's totally normal from what you live through. Actually, you've done. Now, now I look at it and go, here with everything you live through at a certain time in your life, you've turned out alright. I think you've done okay. You've done all right. Yeah. I, it's funny, isn't it? I think that for a lot of people, and we, we need to recognise all facets, the multifaceted issues around what happened during lockdown. But like for a lot of people, it, that chance to take stock was really valuable, you mm -hmm. know. And and actually, artists are not often very privileged because we work for very little and we cut about, you know, like grafting and hustling and stuff like that but when lockdown happened for those of us who were locked into using the arts for work yeah um work didn't actually cease and we learned a lot of new things but it took a lot of time to reflect you mm -hmm. know and think about you know through, through the lens of maybe gaining skills through the lens of our relationships through the lens of for me maybe others for their kids or whatever it was really a it was a time of self-awareness mm -hmm. I think you know there's nothing worse than having to get up in the morning and just be with yourself yeah. uh, if you're if you're not yeah. in a space to do that you know yeah. and learning to do that is yeah. so important man and and again it's that universal thing and like that bridge is kind of a a pep talk but like in a really like personal level like the reason I said like time and not life was like because the whole thing of that bridge is like 
you know, life hasn't been great, but it's all we've got, right? And but I said time because like there's a song called Time. When I was younger, I had this song. It was like well, the first, actually, the first acoustic song I wrote when because I'd always been in wee bands, and it was something like Time. Time is all we seem to have because time's all we have left, or something like that. Something like that. But I sang it at my dad's funeral, and then so I was thinking about that when I was writing this song, and I was like, you know, time hasn't always been kind to us, but in the end, time's all we've got. Mm. So live by our choices and try to find peace in something before we're nothing. Which is basically, I mean, that is me just saying like. See before you die, like find find peace in life because yeah. really morbidly, like life's just a distraction from death. So enjoy it. You know what I mean? And enjoy your life because yeah. it's only one thing that it ends up being. Yeah, and and I think yeah. I needed that pep talk of like you know I can I can dwell in the past or I can accept it. And this is this album for me was about accepting that like I think I think we all do this thing where we think at some point the things we lived through won't hurt us anymore, whereas like that's not true and when I accepted it wasn't true and accepted like those things made me who I am and it's okay that I take them with me that made me ready to move forward and this song's like the kind of emotional point of like right this is me moving forward and time to let let, let not let go of the trauma but accept it yep. and accept it as part of who I am and and then I was ready to be and the next step in my life the next guy yeah. I, it's an exhale almost isn't it yeah. like getting I wonder if that's something that comes in your 30s or if it's just, you know, you just get to a point where you're like, let's just take stock of this and maybe let's take a little bit of responsibility as yeah. well because like you say, if you can run away, then that's always <laughs> the option A. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> the easy if you can eh, then uh, you have to kind of maybe have a look at yourself and take a bit of responsibility. So it kind of bridges two worlds really, doesn't it? As a... Yeah. As a for meaning as a narrative, like you're talking to yourself, but you're also kind of lamenting a past or lamenting a pa past mm. life. And so the you is you, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Beautiful, man. Uh, I really love the production on this as well. It's like, again, kind of folding into that, that kind of gospel vibe. Lots of harmonies, really compressed. Like it's like it, it is just doing what it needs to do. Yeah. I, I reckon this will be, this will be the one. Yeah, I, I think I talked a lot about this when I was in Song Seeds doing the masterclass. It's like if the song's there, the production's it's hard to get it wrong. If the song's not there, then you're going to rely on the production. And I think it, having having a great song left a lot of space to go. What what really is the most sensible, um, appropriate production that's going to make just take this song from like here to the next level? And um, it didn't take a lot. That's not it's not a heavy production. It's actually, there's a lot of subtleties in the production, but that's easier because the song's there, which is another thing for writers, you know, if there's anyone listening to this it's a songwriter, it's like, like, if you don't have the song, you've got nothing. There's only so far you can hide behind the production for me. And what would you say to people that write using production, Matt? Well, this is a thing. This is a, a, a running thing that, like, if you were to come into a room with me as a writer with a laptop, I'd ask you to leave. And... I, do you know I think I, I, mean, I guess I don't really believe it but what I want to instill in people is like the song has to be everything and too many people can fuse like the end song as in the released article with the starting point and I try to say to them like it's a bit like going out with a camera and just starting to film stuff like you probably eventually get some sort of narrative but if you have a script you're going to have a film why would it be any different with music like if you just go in there and start creating stuff like yeah you'll get a song but will it be great no probably won't let's be honest and especially when you're talking about songs that last this test of time. And for me, that's what songs are like. It's got to be a connection. And, um, I think you're right. I do think you're right, man. I, I think what songs have, what songs clearly do for me, hence this podcast, is create a talking point. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm almost less interested in a song than I am what it means. Yeah. In a weird way. And, and, back in, and back in the day, like when they heard a good song, just like a really rough demo, that's a song and everyone knew it was a song. Like, you know what I mean? That, that that's the mark of a great person that understands music and like a great A and R could just hear a, a like one voice in the piano or guitar or even just a voice and go, boom song. Now they're like, oh I don't know, could you produce it in the style of Billie Eilish so maybe I can get it? It's like, well that's not a song. That's what, what are we all writing that, for? Like, that's maths. It's yeah. like Tetris for yeah. songs, isn't it? And if we wanted that, we'd listen to Muse. You know what I mean? Here, don't knock them with great life. <laughs> Sit right down right now. Nah, I've got to say, I think on someone, only songwriters will be listening to this podcast, <laughs> if that. But, uh, An uh, echo so chamber. All good advice, all good advice, I feel, Matt. Again, it's just one of those things, like, you pick up from a good song. It's just, um, 
and, and it's true. Um, I, I want to know the narrative. I want to know more about the person. So I think I like the way you have set this up because we're going into your last song now. And uh, yeah, why don't you introduce that to us? Which is funny because it's quite on the surface production heavy. Mm. But again, like it wasn't, it wasn't ever intended like that. What well, was, but we'll come to that. But this song is actually the last tracking album and it's the most different song I've ever done, I think. And it's really me and I, and, and I really wanted to grow as a, a, a writer and um, there's a lot of reasons for why this is stylistically that in, in the lyrics and we can get into that. So, And it's a different style of writing again because whether those other songs were reflective or personal or emotional, this was like almost writing on a subject that is emotional and personal to me but I'm not necessarily like part of that so it's a different thing to approach in a different way you can use words and uh, imagery so this song's called Unity Yes, here is Brown Bear with Unity I do it for my people I do it for me I do it to be equal do it to be free I won't do it for money Do it to be equal, do it to be free A wise man once told me Don't let no one harm me But if they do, then take them to the grave But the government quick taught me That they don't need no army To kill the ones that dare to be brave I do it for my people I do it for me I do it to be equal, do it to be free I won't do it for money Money is greed I do it to be equal, do it to be free A wise woman once showed me That no one ever owned me Cause freedom comes in death, not in chains So when the government came running She built her I do it for my people, I do it for me, I do it to be equal, do it to be free, I won't do it for money, money is free, I do it to be equal, do it to be free, I do it for my people, I do it for me, I do it to be equal, do it to be free. Okay, so that's a belter, that song. And it, do you say it's the last song on the album? Yeah. Yeah. This is it. It feels like it's a it's a flying off point. 
yeah. that song because I mean and I'll let you talk about it because you don't need me it's... to but you, you've taken a, you've taken a lot of tropes you know that, that you have the right to take mm -hmm. and turned it into a really powerful song which is mm -hmm. both quite unifying and also there's an irony in it I feel personally just as a listener it's like you're going here are you know here are the tropes of my culture mm -hmm. I'm going to now take them and go enjoy yeah. you know and make this brilliant piece of work that says so much about about you as an artist and as a person and how you feel like your activism etc but and this is me more talking to you like your pal here right but to me i'm like this is such a jumping off point like and as an artist that you're at now it's yeah. really interesting that you chose it as the last song in your album and i'm going to shut up now and let you speak you, you know me quite well so you know that like i'm leaving that there so people go what's next is that well, I mean, and the thing is, it might not be. It might just be back to like the first album. Maybe like a rock album. I might not do another album. We just don't know. And I love that. And I, we, we did talk for a long time about starting the album that way. And I was like, but that sense of present, the whole album should be that theme. And I love to just leave it. But also, you know, with this song, it was very much like. So, where did I start with this? For a lot of people, George Floyd happened. Black culture was introduced into our life. Black Lives Matter was introduced into her life. For me, I'd seen Philando Castile, I'd seen Trayvon Martin, I'd seen Stephen Lawrence, I'd seen I'd seen all of the reasons that Black Lives Matter existed far before. I'd grown up through that culture and what it meant to be black in the context of the world, in the context of Britain, in the context of Scotland. So I was like, I'm going to write a song that's for my people in that sense, and it's going to be a in the same vein of hip-hop, it's going to be cultural, it's, bit, it's going to be history that we don't need to explain to each other, but it's our history. Because people kept coming to me and asking about stuff. I did a wee thing on Instagram, my own one for a while, like posting about black people, because people just kept asking me stuff. And I became everyone's sounding board for like, what could you tell us, what should we know, we need to know this. And, and, and then people were having conversations with me that I've had for years that they just went, oh, what is he on about? And suddenly they wanted to know everything about appropriation and all these things. So <clears throat> with the first verse, I was like, well, if I'm going to split these verses, I'm going to write about something of our culture. Like, who are the markers for me of, like, our leaders or people we could turn to? And, I, I, you know, instantly you're thinking, like, well, a really important one is Malcolm X, right? So, like, I'm not going to tell you any more about that. If you don't know why that first verse is like that, go and read the book. And then in the second verse, I was like, and this is really, so again, this is really breaking down culture, but I hear a lot of people talk about, the patriarchy, right? But like to me, the patriarchy is still a white thing. To even consider that's like a, a white supremacist thing because that is your system, not ours. Like within black culture, there hasn't ever been a patriarchy. Like we've always had queens that led queen warriors. Like the Panthers was always split. We had like like female generals. Like it was always about the people, not the gender. And that's not to say it's perfect or there's not been problems or misogyny hasn't crept in, but misogyny has like been an export of like whiteness for me. So then I was like, if we were talking about like, the males, we have to talk about the women. And then I was like, and, and the thing is, I've chosen like really firm people, but it's not like I didn't have in mind other people from like Britain or from Scotland. Like, you know, we've got amazing black Scots like Jackie Kay and uh, Jeff Palmer and all, all these people who are, old, and then fizzled down the generations. And But I was thinking, well, Harriet Tubman, and Harriet Tubman was the first um, woman to lead an army in, in America, officially. And she, and it was a railroad, and it was like, all of that is our history. And it's like, we've always been fighters, and we've always come through. And like, those people, they never once considered their own lives. They just thought, like, whatever happens, it's about being free. And like, that's what's quite hard now when we talk about things in terms of culture. It's like... There's a picture of Harriet Tubman in colour when she was alive, right? And my grandparents were alive then. So, like, this is recent history when we talk about slavery as if it's, like, 400 years ago. Like, it might have started 400 years ago, didn't end 400 years ago, and we've seen everything that's come from it. And, like, that's not our only history. So, like, this is the thing for me. Like, when I move forward now, I want to think about the celebration of African culture and the future of what that means to be black and Scottish. But that point when I wrote that, I was like, well, these are the things that we've lived through, and, like, this is what we fought for, to be free, and to be even considered as equal and, and like ownership is such a new thing for a lot of black families and black culture and I, I guess I just was angry and I was like this is our culture and this is this is it I'm laying down the law for me this isn't a song for anybody but 
me and my people and and I've got plans of what I want to do with the visuals for this and yeah I just I just put a lot of thought into that and <clears throat> and then that, with the production I was like I always knew I wanted to have that like clap back you know the the gospel sounds the choir all those little bits of our culture and that have been essentially taken by other music there's a really funny bit in it that's in it for a for me for a bit of a joke um it goes like freedom comes in death not in chains and it goes ksh, ksh. Yeah. and I, and i said um to the producer we're going to put chains in just that one bit and he was like why and i was like well think of all the white music where they use chains as like a beat and it's like they're making music out of our misery so like we're going to tongue-in-cheek put chains but we're going to put chains where we're actually talking about those chains so that they understand that like those chains were built and made by your people that paid for your houses and now you use our music Every, everyone everyone i see doing like neo soul and jazz and blues and like they're the big artists now but they're white and it's like you're still appropriating our culture and you're on posting your black squares and you're on talking about black lives matter but you're still making a pretty dime off of everything that's our culture without ever acknowledging that that's our culture and you know now ed sheeran's gonna do afrobeat and like it never ends like you know you go into some radio stations you look in the back of the monitors it still says slave and master like this whole business has been built off the perpetuation of black culture and stealing that culture and um now i think it's a really great time for black artists to be talking about whether we even engage with like white business anymore if, if, if now the time is to come where we go well black only productions because what you see now is things like the BAFTA, there's black people everywhere on the shows, black people, nom but no black awards. Every time you see a poster with something black people on it, but like there's no black leads. Go and see a theatre show, there's black people everywhere, but they're not there. And then the other side for me is there's no black people in the audience. It's like, it's so face value. In that, and in a way, diversity has become like another form of racism for some people. Um, because it's like white saviour it's like well we were doing our bit but they still couldn't bear to see an audience so this song was like a lot of angst and like this is what this is for and like who knows what comes next but I really just had a lot to say and I had a lot to say about our heroes and like that the thing of like people talking about it like, like it was new I was like this isn't new to us like this is oh, I was brought up knowing that but I was taught in school again I was taught in school like Malcolm X was a bad thing I was never taught that at home like yeah and I mean if I, I won't get into this one but Remember when Beyonce did the Super Bowl mm. uh, halftime show and she kind of showed elements of that culture and was like, suddenly went from being the biggest star in the world to being the most, you know, like hated person in America for a few days, mm. which just shows you how very little has changed really. It's interesting you say that, man, about the appropriation. And I, having known you for, for some time now, I also know that, and rightfully so, like the, the, the stuff that... The, the, the stuff yeah. that annoys you uh, is often around the idea of black artists being kind of called urban or kind of given a label like that, mm -hmm. you know? So I think it's it's just such a bold kind of piece for the end of your artist because it kind of sheds a light on, on how annoying that is, yeah. you know? This idea that you're not a songwriter, you're a black songwriter, like yeah. a black, like or, you can't or, be... Like you're to me, they're like, well, you're right songs that we can understand and access but they're not what we deem what we know is black so they're like your songs aren't black and yeah that's even, weird you're even not black an urban artist even <laughs> black organizations i'm like how do we fund them because you're not black music but i'm like but what do you mean like what does that mean all yeah. music's black music in a way and like you tell me like what was redden in this guitar wasn't black music or like and it, and it continues to be this trope of like black people aren't songwriters and because they wanted to cut us out of royalties i mean there's like there's a lot of theory about like the reason it being it's top line and, and then uh, top line melody and then music is because they were trying to cut out the rhythmic side of royalties from because that was predominantly the like rhythm and blues black mm -hmm. black writers you know so then it's like this idea that like because I've got an acoustic and I'm playing some songs that are in a certain thing they're like well is that black music like we am playing it's still a soulfulness to it those those top licks I'm not thinking about like indie music I'm thinking about like how ironic is that though? Is that black music? So like you're actually playing pop music, which is a derivative of music that's already <laughs> been taken. Yeah. But then you're not you're not representing your culture enough. Yeah. By the way, Matt, just yeah. letting you know. And then I'm like, well, listen, <laughs> this is our culture sonically. Boom, I can do it if that. It's, 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 there's levels to it, isn't it? But what what happens right now is there's like, what is allowed out sometimes is 
black stories that suit a white gaze, and that sometimes is slavery because they're like, well, oh, 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 trauma, or there's no black stories that are just like you. You wouldn't just see like a normal film that we all accept as like just like well, your casual Friday night thing. That's just a perhaps we have black people like white audiences still need to know why it's there and why it's black, and it's like. I guess the same thing happens in Scotland, right? Like, we we very often see films that are, like, Scottish films, but, like, they're just films by Scottish people. They're quite often Scottish films, and it's really on the nose in Scottish people. Oh, oh my goodness, this is cringeworthy. Yep. And I think that happens as well. And, um, yeah, it's I guess... Wee, it's wee learning, but, but changing the goalposts as to, like, what is allowed and what isn't. But, like you say, when you're in school, you're re-learning that you're different. You're yeah. constantly being told we need to... Not that we shouldn't. Obviously, we should recognise these things, but... You're also being told you need to recognise them in these terms under mm-hmm. this umbrella so that everyone else can get yeah. it because we need to understand why this is important. And I think the minute we allow, and I don't say this at any, any attack, but the minute we allow like people from white culture to define what black culture is, like we're just performing for master. And I really believe that. And I think, I think the minute we're performing for a master, like we're losing, we don't have to create things for a white audience to be palatable. It doesn't matter what they think. If they want to learn, they want to learn. That's their business. It's their house. I was in a conversation recently and they were talking about slavery and education and, and all these things and they were like, well, you know, we don't have that many students in the school that are black. Like, how much do we have to focus on all that? And I was like, but that was your families that did it. It's your, that's your history, not ours. Like, our history was like kings and queens and all the things we should be talking about, but we lost a chunk of our history because of something that you did. Like, you have to own that. So it's not for us to go and make films about it. It's for you to go and learn about it and get over it. We're not... You know what I mean? And there's this thing of like, why should we feel guilty? It's like, no one's asking you to feel guilty, but you should understand it and you should learn from it and you should understand that like that has paid for a lot of this country. And that's the, and to me, the thing is when I talk about this, that's half of my ancestry. Half of my ancestry. I'm in a really weird position where half of my ancestors were enslaved and the other half were enslaving them. Like that, that's where I stand. But I feel like that's given me a position where I'm like, well, come at me when I say it because like I'm including me in that. Like I've, I'm living good from what happened. At the same time as I can see the trauma it did to the other side of my family and, and the generations that comes with that, so and it's also okay to just like reflect on these things and have conversations. But what happened is a lot of people just started to shut it down. Ah, Black Lives Matter is bad, and next thing you know, people are we're in this kind of space of like everyone's like we should learn about it to like oh you know like I'm just getting a bit sick of them putting it on the football and all that like oh, like like would you want equality or not? Like this is a peaceful protest like it's just too much it's too much it's been too long now can I go back to my regularly scheduled program yeah. please uh, I, I it's funny how it always comes back to education which is so simple isn't it it's like it's it's such a formative easy like you know accessible way to change change minds mm-hmm. you know the idea that we wouldn't you know I've got my own bugbears about this mm-hmm. around creativity and other things and, and with the class dynamic in Scotland but the idea that we wouldn't engage young people in an honest conversation about the reality of their past mm-hmm. in order to equip them for the future you know because there is somewhere in between you know the the kind of performative guilt side of it too mm-hmm. which I can't you know can speak for as well you know yeah. and, and also in Scotland it's like I think of some areas and I think we have that working class thing and but these people like used African labour for free to bring over something where they used your they paid you but not very much to like refine and they're all living good from it but you hate those people like the same person did it to both of us like how 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 is it that we're at odds? That's the great irony of the system, and it's totally manipulated from the top down totally. in that sense, man. And you're so right about that. That's what almost every kind of uh, struggle along the lines of social injustice or inequality stems from not just class, but a class based system where money where money mm-hmm. is at the core of it. You know, so that's what made why the are we all fighting each other? Yeah, that's what made the Panthers <laughs> so terrifying because they never said it was about race. They always said it was about class, and they had working class white people with them. They had people from all races, but like that's that's the game they play, and we're falling for it. But then again, like people people have started to use working classes. Like we've gone right off topic, but like people are using working class, and what they really mean is white. And it's like, well, I think I think probably about I would estimate probably like ninety percent of black people are probably working class. So when people say, well, what about working class people? I'm like, great, but that still includes that conversation. So I'm, gra- I'm glad we're having it. But what they really mean man. is like, what about me? And they're like, 
have a bit of like reality, you know, like have a bit of understanding of where you are in life. And but again, again, it's these things of like we know so much about our culture, and we have to because our culture was never allowed to be written or read, and it's not going to be taught in schools. We have to have that. And then people here are taught that they were slaves, and it's like, but you were never slaves, like, and the fact that you're even taught that is wild, and it's like another way of totally negating what happened to other people. It's a way to ab absolve guilt. There's this way of Scotland of like, oh, it wasn't us. It's like we we were really part of that, and we were really vicious, and we should take ownership for it. And 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 the way we are as a nation, we should really be putting our hands up and being a leader and taking our place in that. And not being the same as down south where they're really shy. Down south have done a lot more acknowledgement, I think, in some areas, you know, especially Liverpool. And um, we kind of still hide behind the thing of like, nah, it wasn't us. Yeah. It was the British. Like, well, sorry, it wasn't Yeah, us. we choose our battles up here. Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, pick a side. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? We didn't go off topic because the song is the springboard for the conversation, isn't it? Yeah. And like, I think it's just great to have it. Yeah, yeah, and all these things are always in your head when you're writing these songs, and you're and again, but then again, it comes down to like how do I say that in like three minutes? Yeah, right. Yeah, I think you've done it in more than one way there. Weirdly, just by having the kind of production, kind of know-how to think about where that goes, it mm -hmm. t says a lot about the song in itself, you know. And then how do you say it in three minutes? Well, I again, the tropes that you've used in the production, I think in this mm -hmm. particular case. They just they shine a light on something that's quite as to me when I hear that song I don't just hear it for the statement it's trying to make but I hear it for like the anger of the hypocrisy and the irony mm -hmm. of your position do you know what I mean and having to make it or like feeling like should I shouldn't I like it's cool man I mean I d again you know um, as a sonic piece it's a beautiful thing yeah it's <laughs> like a sonic protest sonic protest anyone um, and it's interesting as well like I mean in my mind the first documented protest song ever is Strange Fruit by Billie mm -hmm. Holiday do you know what I mean so when you bring it all back you know you've got people who are you know genuinely putting their safety on the line in order to, to take something kind of that was in the, the murmurations of the underground something that we all knew was wrong and bring it into mainstream culture and just shine it mm -hmm. on these master slave masters' faces, mm -hmm. essentially, you know. So it always makes me inter we, uh, we, interested to feel that people think protest music is like a faux pas, or like talking about politics and music is a faux pas. And that song was written by a Jewish dude, a Jewish philanthropist, but mm -hmm. obviously Billy Holiday owned that it. Meaning, yeah. It became her. I feel like she became the strange fruit. Mm -hmm. You know, she just was it. It's beautiful. And this is the thing as well. It's like. We, we joke about it a lot, but, you know, you'll always say, oh, hey, Matt, do you love the Beatles? And I'm always like, nah. But, like, <laughs> well, this is this is why. Like, this, I'd, I just don't subscribe to this idea that they, like, created that sound. Like, you can, you it's can hear... It's not the real canon. You can yeah. hear all of that culture that they've heard. And, and I don't think they ever carried on. They didn't, by the way. I think it's that people have rewritten that history themselves to, to protect their great white saviours. And that's, like, Elvis and the Beatles are, like, friends all these things in popular culture are the great white, the last great white hope for like people need friends to be the greatest program because it's like the last time you watch a program where it's essentially exclusively white people. It's like for them, it's not, it isn't the standard bearer, it isn't the best thing, it's the great white hope. And I can see it plain and simple. I'm like, oh man, there's a, there's a reason that like all of these things have a similar thing, but they couldn't, like they needed it to be, even when the, the things from black culture that are the Beatles and Elvis have, it's like they couldn't hear it unless it was through them. Bob Dylan, like when we, when we talk about, like you talk about like civil rights at school, they'd be like talking about Bob Dylan, like that was the soundtrack of it. And it's like, well, the soundtrack to you maybe, but it wasn't the soundtrack for black people. Like, mm. but like, even the way they teach that is like a black movement. They talk about a white song and a white songwriter as if that meant shit to black people. It didn't. Yeah. And but, but it's because like even to palette it, it's like well we still need our whiteness. It's like well, the, we need to package it. Yeah. 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 But that's the whole that's the whole Western narrative though. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean we could l unpack the shit out of this. Yeah. Let's face it. But um, and and obviously I'm always looking through the lens of music and songwriting and through through the lens of obviously being a woman as well. And this whole kind of creation of that pop music canon was essentially a sig a signifier of what culture should be. But that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that's what it actually was. You know, like. It's thinking, man. It's thinking. I don't want to leave it on a downer on no. that note because that is a song that gives me a lot of hope. And, yeah, oh, you know, it's definitely a hopeful and a song. And a hopeful conversation um, as well. It, it came from a place of angst, but the whole point is it's hope and there's a future and it's like doing it for your culture. And when I think about my people as well, I, I think about Scotland and I think about Ayrshire and 
and that everyone has their own little communities. And I think the whole thing about the song, the positive, is that it's about your community and your culture, and community is so important. And it's like we're in Govan Hill. There's so much community here. Mm. It's the yep. essence of this area, and areas are stronger for their community. And we shouldn't shy away from that. And that is like what we're missing in music is having music and community. And that's what I've been focusing on is like how do we get music back to community? Because that's where. That's what music's for. It's that's for where the people. The change happens. For the people. Well, yeah. Do it for the people. That is what music is for. The people, and that's what this song is for, and this album's for, and hopefully all the writers and artists start to really think, who are we doing this for? Like, forget labels, forget pop music, forget royalties. Blah blah. blah. Music is for the people, and we need to be in a time like this. We need to be inspiring people out of the situation we're in. That's the, her job as a writer, and her job as a musician. Yes, it is. Very good. Yes. 10 out of 10. I've got to say, it's always great to talk to you, man. And I've been trying to get you to come and do this for ages. I know you're so yeah. busy, so thanks so much for taking the time and, and just sharing a bit of that uh, with the listeners because it's it's just really great chat and important, you know. And I, I'm always, like, drawn to people in the music community who are thinking above and beyond the music itself, you know, and, like, thinking about their community and, and what it means to be an artist in Scotland specifically now, yeah. what it means to be a self-managing artist, what it means to be creating music, why are we doing it, you know? So it's so great to sit and just have sure. this chat with you, man. And the next time we're back, it's because it's going to be a wrestling podcast. Ah, uh, you had to get it in. We almost got the whole almost thing done it. without saying the word wrestling. 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 Um, that's another story for another day, guys. But um, before we stop, I, I love to, and I know this changes every day, yeah. but I love to, like, just after having that conversation and thinking about all your songs and hearing where you're at and just thinking about music like that, if you had to now choose a song that you think, you know... Shows songwriting at its best yeah. today. What I say today? Prefix with today. Uh, then what would that be, man? This is so hard when you asked me this. I was like thinking a lot of things, and I was thinking like, should we, should I be picking like a someone from the black writing an artist canon, or like I thought about what's love got to do with it because it's written by Graham Leo and he's from Largs, and that's a big thing for me. And then, but then I I really I always come back to the song like, so I picked I can't take my eyes off you, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, and I just think it's it's just beautiful and it's timeless and. It's got everything a song should have. It's got the hooks. It's got the melody. It's got a strong verse and chorus. It incidentally, has what we what we now would call a hook, whereas back then they wouldn't have sang like da 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 da. But now it's, that's really singable. But also that key change and like in the verse, it's not, now when pop music does it, it's like really obvious. Like I've done a key change, yeah. Whereas this <laughs> is like this key change serves the song and serves the emotion and. I just think it's amazing that I, I love I love it as a song. I always come back to it and just go, gosh, like that's it's timeless. And that to me, it's a it's got emotion. It connects with you. Okay, it's maybe not like breaking down boundaries. Not every song has to. Some songs just have to connect you. But like, I love songs that are emotional, but they still feel upbeat, and that's like a big thing for me. But it's timeless. Like it still to this day sounds just like that's such a standard right and I could have picked so many songs and it's so hard to do it but I just I come back to the song all the time and think it's just beautiful and it's effortless feeling but it's obviously not and it's timeless and I think like songs that stand the test of time for me are like a marker of a great song there's a lot of songs that didn't stand the test of time and there's a reason for that and I don't think there'll ever be a time where people don't listen to this and go what, what a great song what a tune what an absolute banger they'll what say a banger. what a banger so well let's let's play ourselves out with this brown bear slash matt Thank you so much for coming today. Uh, really looking forward to your album. Um, and I know we can check you out online. We'll, we'll find you if we want to. Yeah. Um, but it's an absolute pleasure. And I'll put links to all these songs um, underneath the podcast when it comes out as yes, well. So that everyone can just go straight to the songs um, and the good bits of the conversation. But for now, here's Frankie Valley with Can't Take My Eyes Off of You. Just too good to be true Can't take my eyes off you You'd be like heaven to touch I wanna hold you so much At long last love has arrived And I thank God I'm alive You're just too good to be true 
songwriters on songwriting podcasts here at Glad Radio and also check out songseeds.uk the home of affordable inclusive songwriting retreats This was a Glad Radio production. To listen to more and get involved, visit glad.radio.